and he had a three-year-old. <clears throat> and the three-year-old said, hey, do you want to see my room? Not really, but you don't tell a three-year-old that. And so I'm like, yeah, that would be great. And so my friend and I went into his little three-year-old's room, and he started showing us around all kinds of things, and, and he was really excited to get to show somebody his room. And then we heard it, the click of the door. And my friend immediately turned white, and he said, please tell me you didn't. Please tell me you didn't. And this child just looked at him kind of confused. He said, please tell me you didn't. I'm like, what, what's going on? He said, our, our son's kept locking himself in his room. So we turned his door handle around so the lock is on the outside of the room. And now the three of us were locked in a three-year-old's room. And nobody else was home. And there was nothing we could have that would pick the lock. We just had to wait until his wife would get home from work. I don't know how long we were stuck in that room because none of us had cell phones. But I can tell you, if you've ever been trapped in a room, if you've ever been locked in a room with a three-year-old singing Baby Shark over and over and over again, it feels like eternity. I just looked at my friend and he looked at me and there is nothing we could do. A lifetime later, probably 10 minutes, his wife arrived home. She saw my car and she started yelling for us. And we're like, we're in here! We're in here! And then she came upstairs and obviously figured out what had happened because when she opened the door... She just started laughing at us. You ever felt trapped? You ever felt like you're imprisoned? Maybe you've been to prison. Maybe you've gone and checked out a three-year-old's room, not realizing the lock was on the outside, and realizing that you would soon be locked in to a room with a three-year-old and a friend. Maybe you've been a prisoner of your past. Maybe you've been a prisoner of expectations of what you thought would happen, only for it to never occur. Or maybe for what happened that you can never run from. Maybe it's in your mind. Thanks for watching. This morning, we're continuing what we're calling What Now? And what this is, is it's a look to see what should we do as people who follow Jesus? What is our response to the truth that God loves us so much that he came and he died for us so that we could have a restored relationship with him. Three days later, he rose again from the grave. What do we do with that? And what do we do with that, not just normally, but what do we do with that now in the midst of a pandemic and people are wondering so many questions and there's so many variables and factors that are new. How do we respond and what do we do? So we're glad you're joining us today. If you have your phones or your tablets and you're not streaming along there, join us in our Bible app event. And if you're watching from afar, you just don't know the zip code for Algoma and you don't have location services activated if you're local in Algoma, just type in zip code 54201. 54201 and Lakeside Community Church. We're going to be in Galatians. We're going to start in Galatians 5.13 this morning. But just to catch you up where we have been, as we first saw, what do we do with doubt? 
What do we do with doubt? And how do we process regret? And after we saw how we should interact with doubt, and after we saw how we should process our regret, last week we saw what our mission is. And the fact that as people who follow Jesus, we have an opportunity, but also an obligation to share the hope that we have with others. This morning, we're going to see one of the benefits that results from following Jesus. And so we start in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 13, where we read this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. For you were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. And the question that I have for you this morning is, are you living as though you're imprisoned? Are you living in prison? I mean, we've all experienced a light version of house arrest lately with social distancing, and this is not a commentary on social distancing whatsoever. The question I have when I say, are you living in prison, is, is a question of, are you, are you living captive to your thoughts? Are you allowing your anxieties to rule your life? Are you living in fear? Are you missing what could be because you never allow yourself to break out? Are you living trapped? Do you find yourself feeling as though freedom is not available to you? Are you stuck? That's the question. That's the question that we have to answer. Are you imprisoned? Are you stuck? And this is, the, this is one of the beautiful things as a result of following Jesus. That as people who follow Jesus, we have freedom. We have freedom from regret. We have freedom from our past. We have freedom from our mistakes. We have freedom from trying to measure up and be good enough. We can be free of all of those things. But the question is, as a follower of Jesus, are you living a life of freedom? Or are you tied down to your past? Are you tied down to your failures? Are you held captive to your regrets? That is the question that we have to encounter today and we have to face. Because the reality is this, as people who follow Jesus, we have been offered freedom. And there is no reason whatsoever for us to live imprisoned. We have been called to freedom. Verse 13 continues. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Your response to being free in Jesus shouldn't be this idea that you get a get-out-of-jail-free get card. That's, that's not the mindset here, that you can do whatever you want without any, without any consequences whatsoever because God is gracious and He's good and He has promised to forgive you for your mistakes. He's promised to forgive you for your sins. So whatever you want to do, you just go ahead and do. And there's no problem whatsoever. It's completely up to you and just live your life however you want to, paying no attention to what God says you need to do. 
He's saying that's not the freedom that you were called to. Don't, don't misunderstand. The freedom that you have in Jesus isn't a license for you to go and do stupid things, but rather the freedom that you've experienced in Jesus should be what spurs you on all the more to get you to go out and to love people like crazy, to get you to go out and to share with people the hope of Jesus as a result of how much you love them. That is the call that we have as people who've experienced the freedom that's available to us in Jesus. Not to live our lives however we want, but rather that we see a desire and we are compelled all the more to go love people in radical ways and to serve. That's the freedom we've been called to. He continues in verse 14, for the whole law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is it. He says all 613 laws which are found in the Old Testament, they all boil down to this principle that you would love people. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Die to your own desires, elevate others, and love people in the same way you love yourself. And I know our world right now is crazy. And it's chaotic. And people are starting to become divided as we always are. And a lot of times it's easy to blame politics, but, but now it's, it's the response to the coronavirus and people who, who think that we should stay at home even longer and people who think we should have never stayed at home and people who wear masks against people who don't wear masks and people who feel safe going out to do things and people who don't feel safe to go out and do things. It, listen, if we just boiled it all down to this simple principle to love each other in the same way we love ourselves. We would get rid of so much of this. And I know the temptation is to think, well, yeah, you're right. So if you're in favor of wearing masks, you're saying, yeah, if everybody would love others in the way that they love themselves, everybody would wear a mask. And if you don't want to wear a mask, you're thinking, that, yeah, that's right. If you were worried about it, you'd just stay home and let everybody else go out and live their lives and you wouldn't be a tyrant. No, 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 no. Stop the rhetoric. This isn't an excuse for you to point fingers and look out your window. This is a call for you to look in the mirror and to say, I've got to love others. Like I love me. And Paul is saying here, when you boil down all of the laws of the Old Testament, all 613, here's the summation. Love. Love. This is the point. Love. And then he offers a warning in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let me read that again. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He says, you, you're free. 
You are free as a result of following Jesus. You are free. You leverage that freedom to love people and to serve because this message is nothing new. The entire point of the Old Testament, it it all points to the fact that you need to love people. That's the whole point. You need to love people. That's the summation. And here's the warning, he says. When you don't get this right, when you don't get this right, when you snipe at people who are different than you, when you snipe at people because they have a different perspective than you, when you sit on your judgment seat because not everybody looks at the world in the same way that you look at the world and because your personal preference isn't somebody else's personal preference and when you think your personal preference needs to become the personal preference of everyone and when it doesn't become their personal preference, you start to wonder, well, I wonder if they even love Jesus. Because if they love Jesus, how could they mess it up this badly? What could even, how, could, how could somebody be so misguided? to follow Jesus and not even have a clue. He's saying, no, no, no. You need to be real careful. You need to get along. Stop going after each other. As people who follow Jesus, we are on the same team. It doesn't mean we're going to see eye to eye on every scenario and every situation, but it does mean we're on the same team. And if you've ever played sports, you understand that there are some teammates on your team who you just naturally love. You just naturally love to be around them. They're great people. You have fun hanging out with them. If you've ever run a business, you understand this. There are people on your team. You just love to have them on your team. If you're good at running a business, you stock your team that way. You, just, you want to be surrounded by people that you love, that you, you enjoy spending time with, that, it, that it's fun to be together. And that it's exciting. But if you've ever played sports, you know that there's probably going to be some people on your team that you don't like all that much. But at the end of the day, if they can help you succeed, you learn to coexist. You learn to get along. You learn to do whatever it takes. Because the mission, the quest for the championship is bigger than your personal preference. The church is compiled of people from all different backgrounds. The church is compiled from people from all different perspectives. But we have the greatest thing that could unify us in the fact that we have a collective faith in Jesus. But it means... We're going to see things differently. And we're going to have different perspectives. And the most dangerous thing that we can do is to tear each other apart. Because somebody's perspective doesn't match our own. If you've ever watched a nature show or or planet Earth, you've seen the the picture that that he's... describing here this is a picture of animals out in the wild just destroying each other i I remember we had planet earth on one time and i'm like oh look this this is a great scene and and our our boys two boys came and they were watching it and it was awesome 
And then something happened on the safari, but it was hunting season all of a sudden. And it just was brutally graphic. And it's, it's that moment where you can't find the remote, even though it's sitting six inches from you. And so you're like, where is the remote? I can't find the remote. Boys, close your eyes. Turn away. I mean, their eyes are just wide open as they're just seeing this animal just pounce and tear another animal apart. flush. And you're like, oh, oh, just, I mean... If you're not a little kid, you watch it, and it's fascinating. But if you're a little kid, you're like, oh, just, just turn away, turn this off. And I wonder, have you seen that happen in your life? Or maybe in the life of a church that you were part of. Maybe a Bible study, a friendship. You know, the saddest part is normally... You agree on 90 to 95% of things. 90 to 95% of things, you're on the same page entirely. But that 5 to 10%, you just can't get past. And all of a sudden, that is what defines you. And that is what starts to tear you apart. It says, you need to be careful. Don't bite at each other. Don't devour each other because this will end at a place that is nasty to see. And it might be fun to watch from afar, especially for those who aren't followers of Jesus. There's a sick curiosity about it. It says, remember what you're called to. You're called to freedom. Use that freedom to love. Use that freedom to serve. Get along. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So he says, here's the secret. Here's what you need to know. To live a life of freedom, walk by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is at work within us. For those of us who've made the decision to follow Jesus, God resides within us in His Spirit. He's given us His Holy Spirit. And remember the promise that we saw that, was, that, that we saw last week with the beginning of Matthew and the birth of Jesus foretold that God would be with us. And then we saw the end statement that Jesus made in the book of Matthew. I am with you always. God is with us. And as followers of Jesus, God is in us in his spirit. He says, but you have a choice to make. As followers of Jesus, you have the choice to make. And he says, walk. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Notice, this is a continuous action. To continue to walk. To walk by the Spirit. You have a choice to make. Every single moment, every single day. You have the choice to make. Are you going to honor God? Or are you going to elevate yourself? That is the choice that we are constantly faced with every single moment of every single day. And he says, 
when you, when you choose to honor God, when you walk by the Spirit, understand that this is going to go against the desires of your flesh. Which means this isn't the most natural thing that you're going to feel. It isn't the thing that you're going to always want to do. Walk by the Spirit. The implications of this mean that there is literally a war that is going on within you. A war that is going on within you. God is literally fighting you. That God's Spirit and your flesh are at war with each other. It's why you we've all done it. You do the thing you know you shouldn't do because it feels good. And as soon as you've done it, and as soon as that rush is over, you're like, hmm, shouldn't have done that. But it feels good. And so you keep going, and, and you've got this struggle that's going on, and it's God at war with you. The question is, what wins? What wins? Remember, you've, you, you've been given freedom, but that freedom isn't to be used as a license for you to just do whatever you want. He says, walk by the Spirit. Which means God is working in you and on you continuously. And there is a war within. And verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That's why we don't live bound to all 613 laws of the Old Testament. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And here you go. Galatians 5.18 makes that very clear. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The law reveals our need for a Savior. The law reveals the fact that we can't measure up. The law reveals the fact that we all are in desperate need of salvation. Because none of us can measure up to the standard of God. Because as we've talked about many times, the standard of God is not good enough. The standard of God is perfection. There is never a scale that God has of whether or not somebody is good enough if their good outweighs their bad. That's not how God sees things. God is much more absolute. And God's standard is a standard of perfection. And you fail. And I fail. We all fail. But God loves us anyways in spite of those failures. And in spite of that failing. But the reason that we were given the Old Testament, the reason that we have the law, is it very poignantly points out the fact that none of us can measure up to the standard of God. Salvation isn't found in that. Salvation is found in the fulfillment of the law. The fact that Jesus could measure up. The fact that Jesus is the perfection that eludes all of us. The fact that Jesus has paid the price. The fact that Jesus rose again. The fact that Jesus has made a way for us as failures to be restored and redeemed to God. 
That is the work and that is our hope. He says, don't go back. You're free. Jesus has fulfilled it. And you have freedom. And then he spells out for us what exactly our flesh desires. Now the works of flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's, like, here's your three categories. Here are your three categories. Sex, religion, and human relationships. Sex, religion, and human relationships. It's like this is, this is what your flesh desires. And I promise you this, if you carry significant wounds from your past, it's from one of these categories. If you carry around with you significant wounds from your past, it's from one of these three categories. It can all be traced back to this list. And if you experience these things, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You're not alone. We all do. This is your disposition. This is your natural disposition. This is what you naturally desire. This is what your flesh, what your body naturally wants. Your body doesn't naturally want to always do what's right. Your body doesn't naturally always want to do what's good. You don't always want to respond in the way you should respond. And so he gives us this list and these categories. Then our sexuality, in our quest to, to, to find religion, but not not a true relationship with Jesus, and oftentimes to elevate ourselves into the role of God and become our own religion, though we wouldn't phrase it like that. That's essentially what idolatry is, that we tell God, you're, you're not good enough. We're going to do it my way instead of your way because I'm going to elevate myself into the position of the final authority, which is ultimately God's role and responsibility. And in human relationships, and that we don't always respond in the way we should. We don't always react. These are temptations that every single one of us face. And he says they're normal. And they're natural. But don't let them win but don't let them win. You don't have to cultivate these desires. They happen naturally. But you do have a choice. And here is the counter-argument. Here's the counterbalance. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, 
is kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says, here's your alternative. Here's your alternative. You don't have to live a life that's enslaved. You don't have to live a life going through prison. You don't have to live a life of regret. You don't have to live a life where the wounds win. You don't have to be stuck. You have a choice to make. But is your choice going to be to follow God? Or is your choice going to be to just do whatever feels And instead of chasing after those three categories of sexuality and religion and human relationships and all the, all the hurt that all those things happen when we step outside the bounds and just respond the way we naturally want to respond, he says, here's the alternative. That you live lives according to the work of God within you. That you let God win the war within you. And you trade all of the things that you naturally desire for all of the things that God offers, which are better. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness and self control. You want to know the best way to break out of your prison? You want to know the best way to get past the wounds of the past? The best way to not let fear and anxiety rule your life? The best way to not become defined by your disappointment. You know the best way to freedom? It's to love and to serve. It's to treat others as you would like to be treated. To love each other. To consider others, not just yourself. For you to use what God has given you to serve others, to better their lives, to make a difference in this world. For you not to be consumed by you. to love and serve others. What's interesting is the path to freedom isn't in fact doing whatever you want, which is what our society would tell you. The whole point of freedom is then you can do whatever you want to do. That is the entire point. That's the whole reason of freedom. That's why it's so alluring. That is the promise of freedom, that you can do whatever you want. That's freedom, isn't it? 
but not according to God. Freedom isn't, in fact, doing whatever you want to do. Freedom is actually leaning into the war that is going on inside of you with the Spirit of God. And freedom is found when you, in fact, don't do what you want to do. That we would be people who love and who serve. We are offered freedom as a result of being followers of Jesus. But it's time we really understand what that means and what that looks like. And for us to see that true freedom is found in not doing what we want, but in living according to the ways of God. God, I pray that we would be people who understand that we have been called to freedom. I pray we'd be people who reject the notion and idea that we have to be defined by our past. I pray we would not allow ourselves to live imprisoned. I pray, God, that fear and anxiety would not rule our lives or our days. I pray, God, that we would elevate your desires for our lives and what you want above what we desire and what we want. I pray for the person right now, God, who's just so enslaved from wounds of the past. And I pray they would experience today a breakthrough. I pray for the person who loves you but hates everyone else. And I pray, God, you just help them see they've missed it. And I pray, God, that you would just renew our passion and desire at Lakeside to be people who say we will love and we will serve. And if you feel differently about things than I feel differently and you look at situations differently than I look at situations, that's cool. Because we both love Jesus. And that's what matters most. Give us unity. Let us serve. And let us love. And experience the freedom you promised and offered to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.